Well, Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. There was a moment today where I thought I might be here all alone, but you showed up. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of this uh, Christmas Eve celebration with us. This last week, I shared with the church that I have a deep love for fruitcake during this Christmas season. And uh, before you judge me, I'll just say this, that it's, it really is incredible. I know I'm not alone in uh, my love for fruitcake. In fact, I was shared this last week that I felt so loved by my staff because they gave me my own personal fruitcake this past month, and I ate it all myself, okay? I didn't share with a single person, not that anyone wanted any, but... <laughs> I ate it all. It was great. Now, I know that I may be a minority in terms of my love for fruitcake, but there are others who do love fruitcake just as much as me. In fact, someone passed along a, um, a recipe for fruitcake that I thought I'd share with you because I just wanted to share with you just the, you know, just the mouth-watering goodness of fruitcake with you. So I just thought I'd share this as a little Merry Christmas gift from me to you. Here's a great uh, fruitcake recipe for you to enjoy. First of all, there are some ingredients that you need. Four ounces of fruit bits, one railroad tie, you need a wood saw, a large rubber mallet, and some safety goggles, okay? So got those things, you'll be set to go. Now, where do we begin? First of all, you need to begin by wearing safety goggles, <laughs> and children get help from an adult if you are going to attempt this on your own, okay? Step one, cut a one-foot section from the middle of your railroad tie, the resulting block of wood should be the size and shape of a loaf of bread. Okay, with me so far? All right, all right, good. Okay, what's next? Step two, then take some fruit bits and pound them into the block with your rubber mallet. A little tip for you, spread the colors around or you might wind up with an ugly fruitcake. Very, very helpful. Uh, there's a couple other tips with this uh, to, be sh- to help as well. Don't be afraid to throw some elbow grease into that mallet because good fruit bits should be much harder than the railroad tie so you can't break anything. (laughs) Helpful. One more tip there with it. For best result, you should pre-treat the fruit bits by setting them on top of your garage for a year or by microwaving them on high for 30 minutes. (laughs) Okay. Step three. Finally, cover it tightly in plastic wrap and give your loved ones the timeless and enduring gift of a fruitcake. Merry Christmas. Okay. <laughs> I know there's just a few of you clapping there that are with me on the fruitcake. And for you, that may not mean uh, very much as a, as a Christmas gift, a fruitcake. So um, what I'd like to do is maybe give you um, a better gift, which is to tell you the good news about the coming of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to do that from the perspective um, of a man by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah has a different perspective on the coming of Jesus because he's, uh, he lived seven centuries before the birth of Christ. And so he was, he was peering down the corridors of time, anticipating and looking ahead to the Savior, the Deliverer, Jesus, who was to come. And so it's a different perspective And Isaiah, by the way, is one of many prophets um, who received um, prophetic truths about the coming Savior, the Messiah who was to come. It's remarkable, in fact, that there were, there's, and you may not know this, there are hundreds of prophecies about the Deliverer, the Savior who was to come that are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
Um, It's one of the amazing and astounding evidences of the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Savior who was to come. But Isaiah was one of those prophets who received truth about the coming Messiah, the Deliverer, because he was looking for insight. He needed hope for his country and for himself in the time of, of great uncertainty and trouble. But Isaiah wasn't the only one. He had a contemporary uh, during the time that he lived, a guy by the name of Micah, who was also a prophet of God, who received insight about the coming Messiah. Then he received an insight, and it's a verse that you've probably heard before. Let me read it for you. Micah 5, 2, this is the insight that he was given. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So now they have this this, uh, understanding that a savior, a deliverer would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be a new ruler and yet have ancient ties, this great mystery, new and, and yet eternal roots. And so, wow, this is new insight. But Isaiah wanted further insight. He wanted to know more about this this Savior, this Deliverer who was to come. So he was looking to God for more insight on what would would be a sign. In fact, God gives Isaiah a a statement, and perhaps you've heard this statement before too, this prophecy, hundreds of years, by the way, before Jesus was ever born, of this prophetic statement in Isaiah chapter 7. Let me read it for you. It says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now Isaiah knows, okay, the Savior who's to come will be born in Bethlehem, but it'll also be a miracle child because he'll be conceived of a virgin. So this amazing truths that are going, but he still wants greater insight. He's like, well, not just where he's to be born or what to sign, but what, well, how will we know all this is taking place? And so God gives him further insight in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Look at it with me. It says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I love this verse. I love this verse because of the picture that it paints for us. I don't know about you. Have you ever been in utter darkness it's not fun. And when you have the, you, you're, you're stuck in darkness, you're looking for light because light brings comfort and hope. And he's saying, hey, when the Savior comes, those who are walking in darkness will see a great light, a great comfort, a great hope. There's a story that um, took place a couple of years ago that really captured the attention of the entire world. And it, it recently kind of resurfaced in terms of people's attention because of documentaries have been, that have been made about it and movies that have been made about it. But it's a, it's a story about a boys soccer team in northern Thailand that after a soccer practice, they went to, dis, to explore a cave. There was 13 in total, 12 boys, and they're a coach. And they went to explore a cave after their soccer practice, but um, heavy rains unexpectedly flooded the cave and they got trapped. Do you remember that story? They got trapped deep inside that cave. And they were trapped inside of this cave for 10 days in utter darkness until finally two British divers found them two and a half miles into this dark, flooded cave from the entrance, two and a half miles in. Ten days later, they were, they were found, they were discovered, and, and, um, and it's, it's a remarkable thing that, the, that they found them there. And not only that they were found in that moment of, of light, can you imagine that for, for ten days, 
In fact, they were, they were in darkness for so long, they didn't know how many days they'd been trapped because it had just been darkness. For 10 full days, they had no, they'd dark. They have no concept of days that have passed by, anything. They had no idea how long they'd been trapped. In fact, it was 18 days before they all got rescued and brought out. So can you imagine 18 days in utter darkness? Can you imagine being stuck there in darkness in the moment that they saw light emerge from the water? The light from those two British cave divers 10 days in? And when the British cave divers came out and that light shone up on them, and maybe you've seen images or pictures, you've seen documentary, they're all huddled on this elevated rock, and you see the light shine on them. They're all together. But can you imagine the hope and comfort that that light brought to them after 10 days of being in darkness? Incredible. But this passage tells us that those who are living in darkness have seen a great light. And if you know anything about the coming of Jesus, you know that the wise men who were from the east saw a great light, a star that guided them to Bethlehem. You know that the shepherds also saw a great light, the, the glory of the, of the Lord and the angels that also led them to the, the birth of, of where Jesus was born. You also know perhaps that Herod received uh, light, the light of God's word that could have, if he wanted to, guide him to Bethlehem. So here's this incredible, this incredible sign, this incredible display. This, the those who are living in darkness will have seen a great light. So then the question is, well, well what is this Savior like? You know, we have, uh, you know, where he's going to be born. You have a sign. We have, we have know what's going to happen, but who is he and what is he going to be like? And so just a little bit later, God gives to Isaiah another statement about who this Savior will be and what he will be like. In fact, if my guess is you've heard it before. If you've ever heard Handel's Messiah, you've heard this verse uh, sung before. It's Isaiah 9, 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here Isaiah gets now a, a better understanding of what the Savior, who the Savior is, and what he'll be like. Let me show you. There's a couple of great insights here in this verse. In verse 6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And I, I want to highlight the word given here, because I want you to see that Jesus' coming is a gift. It's not something that we earned, not something that we deserve, not something that we could do to get God's attention, but he gave his son to us as a gift. It's, a, it's an incredible gift that this child was born, given to us. Well, not only is the child given to us, but the child will ultimately rule. It says that in verse 6. It says this, and the government will be on his shoulders. So ultimately, Jesus is the ruler, and he's ruler over all. But Isaiah doesn't talk as much about, you know, what that rule looks like, but he talks about who the ruler is and why it is that he is the ruler. And he goes in, he talks about the names of Jesus, the names that he carries, and he gives us four different names in in Paris. It kind of sets up two. And so he begins by saying he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. That is that God is a God of wonders. Not not many of us here uh, have probably been in moments where we've, we've stopped and we've seen the wonder of God's creation. We thought, wow. God, you're wonderful. There's something amazing about who God is. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Maybe it's an experience you've had where you go, whoa, 
God, there's something to more to this than just what I see, that there's a God of wonders. But he's also a wonderful counselor. That is, that God can handle, he has the capacity to handle anything that we bring to him, that we can bring to Jesus anything that's going on in our life. And guess what? It's not going to surprise him. There's not a moment that you can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, here's what's going on, that he'll respond by saying, whoa, are you kidding me? I, I don't know what to do with that. I'm not sure what to do. There is nothing that he can't handle. There is nothing that we can't bring to him that he won't have understanding and insight and wisdom, the capacity to lead and to guide and comfort because he's a wonderful counselor. Isn't that amazing? But it's not only that he's a wonderful counselor, that he's a mighty God. Mighty God, the word mighty there also can be translated warrior. He's a warrior God. Warrior king is who he is. And what an amazing thing to have a God who is mighty, who's a warrior who fights for us, who's a God who fights the battles that we can't win on our own. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are battles that we face that we cannot win on our own. And we have a king who comes to us, royalty who comes to us. My guess is most of you don't have royalty coming to you, um, not on a regular basis, that is. But we have a king, God, who came to be with us, to be our mighty God, our warrior king, who can fight our battles. Jesus says, hey, listen, I came to fight for you. I'm a mighty God. I can fight the battles that you can't fight. The biggest battle, the greatest enemy, is the sin that darkens every human heart. And Jesus says, I came to fight that battle. I came to defeat your greatest enemy, sin and death. That if we trust him, we say, ah, Jesus, you're my warrior king. You're the mighty God who can fight the battle that I can't fight. And when we honor ourselves, we recognize it's not a battle that we could fight and win on our own, but we have a mighty God. Not only do we have a mighty God, we have an everlasting Father. Everlasting, that is, that God holds uh, time in His hands. He's also, Jesus is, uh, uh, points us to the Father. That Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. That is, we see who God is through Jesus and how He loves us and He desires a lasting relationship with us. This is good news. An everlasting Father. A Father who wants to know us, who wants to be in relationship with us for eternity. That's the heart of God. And it's, a, it's a, something that's a little bit lost in our culture, this idea of lasting relationships. Because we live in a culture with social media. And in social media, we can have hundreds of friends. We can have hundreds and hundreds of friends. And if we don't want to have a friend anymore, what do we do? We click a button and we can unfriend them, right? Just like that. We can have hundreds and hundreds of friends. Someone can come up to you and say, wow, how do you know that person? How did you become friends with them? And you're like, Honestly, I have no idea. I have no idea how they became my friend. So there's a deep and meaningful relationship, right? But here we have a God who wants to have a deep and meaningful and lasting relationship with us. He wants to be our everlasting Father. This is good news. We also have the fact that He's the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, this is amazing. Peace, when we think about peace, we think about the, the absence of conflict. But the Hebrew word peace is shalom, which means so much more. It means not only the absence of conflict, but it means this sense of completeness. That is, through Jesus, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. There's there's an absence of conflict, no longer conflict between God and man through Jesus Christ. But not only that, we can have wholeness, completeness, shalom. Not just absence of conflict, but completeness, because as we put our faith and trust in Jesus and the conflict is taken away, God can do 
all that he wants to do in our lives and through our lives, and we find wholeness and completeness. He is the Prince of Peace, and it's all through Jesus. This is what he brings to us. And you may say to yourself, well, why is it so important to know about Jesus and all these things that he's done? Well, it helps us understand when we look at these names of Jesus, the one who was to come, the Savior who was born, it helps us understand why it is that Jesus was um, more well-known after his death, a hundred years after his death, than he was during his lifetime. Have you thought about that, how amazing that is? That a hundred years after his death, he was more notorious, more well-known than he was during his lifetime. And that doesn't normally happen, by the way. A hundred years after someone's death, ain't nobody typically knows who that person is anymore. But with Jesus, people knew who he was. In fact, more people knew who he was than when he was dead over a hundred years than he was during his lifetime. Why? Because those who were walking in darkness had seen a great light. And it transformed them. They received and responded to the light of Christ. And it so transformed their life that they became agents of the light to the world around them. So much so that even 500 years after the death of Christ, more and more people knew who Jesus was. And typically, to know about someone 500 years after their death, you have to find a historian to help you with that, to find out who they were. But with Jesus, more people knew who he was 500 years after his death than during his life or even 100 years after his death because those who were walking in darkness had seen a great light. So much so that a 1,000 years after Jesus' death, still more and more people knew who Jesus was. Typically, to know about someone a 1,000 years after their death, you need to find um, an archaeologist to help you figure that out. But here we have Jesus, again, because people who had been walking in darkness had seen a great light. And they became agents of the light, and they shared about Jesus and who he is so that a 1,000 years, even 2,000 years after Jesus' death, where we are today, there are people all around the world who still pray in Jesus' name, confidently expecting that God hears them and will answer them, and he does. Isn't that amazing? It's not just that people pray in Jesus' name. People also swear in Jesus' name as well. Did you know that? And it's not as effective. I'll just say that. I've always wondered about that. You know, when people, you know, slam their hand with a a hammer, you don't hear them say, oh, Buddha, afterwards, right? It just doesn't work. I don't know. I don't know what more to say about that. But but what I can say is that, but Jesus' life has had a lasting impact in this world. That because those who have been walking in darkness had seen a great light, and that great light spread, and that great light had continued to spread, and it's transformed this world. And you say, well, what kind of impact has, has it had? Well, you know, Jesus was never married. But the way that Jesus treated women and incorporated them into his band, it transformed things. So much so that his followers begin to, to recognize, you know what, women have, have value. And they, they ought to be brought back, brought into the center of things as well. There was a fundamental shift because of Jesus and the way that he treated women. That women were no longer um, treated and seen as property, but were seen as people that God valued and that we ought to reach out to. And it's continued to transform how people view women today because of Jesus. People who have been living in darkness had seen a great light. Jesus never had children. 
But the way that Jesus responded to children and allowed them to come to him, the way that he treated them, the way he valued them, the way he cared for them, those who were his followers saw that and said, you know what? We need to value children as well. We need to see them differently. And it was the followers of Jesus Christ that began to say, you know what? Children matter to God and they have great value. In the first century, I don't know if you know this, but if a parent had a child that was unwanted or not in favor, what they would do is they would take the child and they would throw the child into a trash heap or leave the child out to be exposed to die. But it was followers of Jesus Christ who said, no, those children have value. And they began to rescue those children and bring them into their homes and care for them. The most common reason why people would throw out their kids is because of a physical defect or because they were born the wrong gender. But it was followers of Jesus Christ that said, no, we want to rescue those children. We want, to, we want to bring them in. They have value and they have worth and they brought them into their homes. They cared for them and they appointed others to care for them in the case of their death. And they called those people Godparents because they wanted those kids to know you matter and you have value and worth to God. This is who Jesus is. It's because those who are walking in darkness had seen a great light. Jesus never held um, a, a political office, but Jesus taught and called those uh, to follow, who followed him that they're responsive to God, that they're to live their life in front of God, that their allegiance is to be to him. And it transformed nations and it transformed kingdoms because now all, all of a sudden people were saying, you know what, um, we, we are... Uh, the, the kings are, are not just, you know, sons of a God, but they're just humans. They're just, they're just people. And so the common person began to have more dignity because of the way that, that God treated others, that Jesus treated others, and the value that he gave to the common man. It transformed things, and that went on and on, and it's continued to transform even to the foundations of our own country in the documents. Perhaps you've heard this statement before. Let me read it for you. It says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with, by their creator with certain and inalienable rights, all because of the light of Jesus. Jesus never went to school, but he made this statement that we are to love the Lord our God with our mind. And it was followers of Jesus Christ that said, you know what? Um, it's important. Scholarship and understanding is important to Jesus, and it's important not just to be um, scholarship and, and literacy and learning isn't just to be for a few, but it's be, to be available for, for all people. And so it was followers of Jesus Christ during what we now refer to as the Dark Ages who preserved learning and literacy, and they wanted it to be handed down. In fact, if you look at schools like Harvard and Yale, Oxford and Cambridge, they were all started by followers of Jesus Christ because the light had come. Jesus um, never started a movement, never involved in any movement, never started any movement, but a single sentence from Jesus it began an incredible wave of of service and impact in the world. This statement from Jesus right here in Matthew 25, when he said this, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And it was followers of Jesus who had responded to the light of Christ and recognized because of who he is and the light that they've received that they're to shine that light to the world around them. There was a flood of service and, 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 and 
organizations that began to start by followers of Jesus Christ, clinics and hospitals and prison ministries and hospice centers and disaster relief that far exceed any other place, but as followers of Jesus Christ that said, we're stepping in and we're serving those because we're doing it because of Jesus, the light that we receive, the light that we are to be to the world around us. Those who are living in darkness had seen a great light. And this is important for you and I to hear because when Jesus came, he came to enter into to human history, but he also came to break into your history as well if you have the courage to address it with him. See, the Bible tells us that, um, that those who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. The, the first part of that is to recognition that there's a darkness that we all have. That there's a darkness inside of here that you and I all have. And you, you don't believe me? I, let me just get together with a couple of people who know you pretty well, and I'm pretty certain we can figure that out. That there's a sense in all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, to say, yep, there's a darkness here, and we need help. We need to be rescued. We need light. But when God came, when Jesus came, he came to be our light to rescue us. And it takes courage for us to say, yeah, we need rescuing. But the truth is, many of us have been battling battles that we cannot win on our own. We've been fighting issues that we cannot solve on our own. We've been trying to dig ourselves out of a hole, but what do we end up doing? Going deeper into the hole. What we need is someone to reach into the hole and pull us out. We need to be rescued. But what that requires from our part is an admission that I do need to be rescued and I can't do it on my own. That I have to trust in someone other than me, something other than my resources to pull me out of the pit that I'm in, to pull me from darkness to light. Do you know how those, that soccer team in in northern Thailand got got rescued out of that that flooded cave? They had to come to a point of recognition that there was nothing that they could do to get out of the cave, but they had to trust the rescuers. And when the rescuers came to pull them out of the cave, those boys had to allow themselves to be fully sedated. They they went under anesthesia. They were fully unconscious. They were given oxygen, strapped to a stretcher, and they were pulled out of the the flooded caves by a rescue diver all the way out. 2.5 miles, it took three hours to pull those kids out one by one. Uh, each kid, three hours for the, all the way. Incredible. But it took a complete surrender and faith and trust in the rescuer who could take them from darkness to light. Here's what I want you to hear. That there's a God who came to rescue you. That there's a God who came to pull you from darkness to light if you're willing to surrender to him. If you're willing to put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done recognizing that he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. In just a moment, we're going to light some candles and we're going to sing a song together. And I'll tell you this, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that we have to light candles, but it can be a significant moment for you and me because it's a moment for us to just reflect on darkness and light. The truth is dark Darkness can't self-correct itself. Darkness needs light. And we all need the light of Christ in our lives. And if you're willing to trust him, he could be that light for you.
to bring life and light to you now and for eternity. So what I'm going to do in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I invite you to just join in and as we step into God's presence, just a moment to take that to reflect. I'm going to invite the children to come forward as I pray. And as, I'm, as, as we finish praying, it'll be opportunity for us to uh, light those candles and to, to sing and to worship and to thank God for all that he's done for us in Jesus. So let's take a moment and let's pray together. God, we do want to just pause for a moment in your presence. And for some of us here, we just need to stop and recognize that we are been walking in darkness, that there's a darkness in, in each and every one of our hearts. There's challenges that we've been trying to face on our own that we can't. There's battles that we've been trying to fight on our own and we can't win. And we do need to be rescued. We thank you for the fact that you came to be with us. It's a gift. That you could have walked away, you could have abandoned us, but you didn't. Because you love us, you desire a relationship with us, you're a mighty God, you're the Prince of Peace. And Lord, for those here who have yet to put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that this would be a moment for them to just pause in your presence and say, yes, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to be the Savior of my life. I trust in you to forgive me, and I ask that you would make me whole. For others of us, Lord, it's just a moment for us to be reminded of the fact that that's what you've done, that you came to be our Savior, to be our rescuer, and that we can continue to lean into you and trust you because you know the way to light and life, and we need to keep following you. So, Lord, we God, we thank you for that. As we light these candles, we pray that you would remind us that you are the light of the world who has come to bring us hope. We thank you for that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.